All right, all right. Welcome to the Cavish Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Cavish Ships Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is one of the largest artificial intelligence and machine learning federal contractors to the U.S. government. HII delivering the advantage. Coming up, a littoral combat ship launches a powerful standard SM-6 missile for the first time, while another LCS shepherds the largest ever deployment of unmanned surface vessels, all while the U.S. Navy's medium and large-scale unmanned surface vessel programs are stalled. The Americans and Chinese have a larger-than-usual number of ships at sea, but is it a surge or just a coincidence? And the Marinette Group of Shipyards in Wisconsin has built up, modernized, and is getting set to swing into full-scale frigate production. We'll discuss some of the things we saw in our recent visit. But first, a look at this week's Naval News. Movements of naval ships to the eastern Mediterranean Sea continued as several countries positioned forces to assist in any large-scale civilian evacuations should the Israeli-Hamas war widen. On October 27th, the U.S. amphibious ships Bataan and Carter Hall, carrying elements of the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit, passed northbound through the Bab el-Mindeb Strait to enter the Red Sea, even as the third ship of the Bataan Amphibious Ready Group, the landing ship dock Mesa Verde, is thought to be moving to the eastern Mediterranean. On October 26th, the U.S. destroyer Roosevelt passed south through the Suez Canal to enter the Red Sea from the north. The U.S. destroyer Kearney, which shot down three Houthi-launched cruise missiles on October 19th, is thought to be operating in the southern Red Sea region to provide cover to the Bataan and the Carter Hall. The large French assault ship Tonnerre, loaded with helicopters, left the Toulon naval base October 25th to head to the region, joined by the frigates Alsace and Surcouf. Britain already has sent two ships to the Eastern Med. And all this happens as diplomatic efforts continue to try and dissuade Israel from launching a full ground invasion of Gaza. Confrontations between China and the Philippines continued in the South China Sea. On October 22nd, the Chinese Coast Guard vessel 5203 bumped a Philippine vessel trying to resupply the stationary ship Sierra Madre on 2nd Thomas Shoal in the disputed Spratly Islands. The Philippine government said the incident took place about 13 and a half nautical miles from the Sierra Madre. Also during the resupply mission, the Philippine Coast Guard vessel Cabra was bumped by the Chinese maritime militia vessel 00003, about six and a half nautical miles from the Sierra Madre, according to the Philippine government statement. The resupply mission to the Sierra Madre included two Filipino Coast Guard ships escorting two supply ships. China issued a statement saying the moves were made because the Filipino supply ships were carrying building materials in addition to food and living supplies. On October 27th, the United States, which has a mutual defense treaty with the Philippines, issued a statement reaffirming U.S. support for the Philippines after the bumping incidents. And on October 28th, the U.S. carrier Ronald Reagan with the cruisers Antietam arrived at Manila in the Philippines for a port visit. Norway will become the ninth country to operate the advanced MH-60R multi-mission Seahawk helicopter after a $364.3 million foreign military sales order by the U.S. government was announced on October 26th. Sikorsky 
will produce six Romeos for Norway's Navy by July 27th. This follows by two weeks in order for eight MH60Rs for Spain. The Times of London first reported on October 23rd that the British Royal Navy is ending a long-standing tradition of employing Chinese laundrymen aboard its ships due to security concerns. While the number of Chinese citizens affected is not clear, at least four are remaining in place, having passed a security review. British media have reported that dismissed Chinese are being replaced with Nepali Gurkhas. First Sea Lord Admiral Alan West was quoted by the Sun saying, if it is a question of security, the Navy has no choice. But it's sad as Chinese laundrymen have fought wars with us. Some have even died for us. The littoral combat ship USS Marinette, LCS-25, which sailed away from its building yard at Marinette, Wisconsin on October 19th, is held up at Cleveland, Ohio on Lake Erie, while a strike of Canadian workers against the St. Lawrence Seaway has closed the Welland Canal locks the ship needs to get through to reach the Atlantic Ocean. Negotiations between the striking Unifor Union and the Seaway Management Corporation were to resume October 27th. 13 locks to control access along the St. Lawrence Seaway have been closed by the strike, the first such action since 1968. Meredith is one of dozens of ships stuck by the strike. And in new ship news, Eastern Shipbuilding in Panama City, Florida, finally launched Argus WMSM 915 on October 27th. When the U.S. Coast Guard in 2018 awarded the contract to build the ship, the first offshore patrol cutter was to have been delivered in 2021, but numerous delays, including design issues, production problems at the yard, and a serious problem with the Rolls-Royce-supplied propeller shafts, have plagued construction almost from the start. Eastern has three more OPCs under construction, but further ships have been awarded to competitor Austell USA in Mobile, Alabama. The new fleet oiler Robert F. Kennedy, TAO-208, was to be christened and launched October 28th in an early morning ceremony at GD NASCO Shipbuilding in San Diego. The Robert F. Kennedy is the fourth John Lewis-class oiler to be built at GD NASCO for the U.S. Navy's Military Sealift Command. And Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro, on October 27th, announced that the future expeditionary medical ship, EMS-2, will be named Balboa, after Balboa Naval Hospital in Southern California. The EMS ships will be similar to the Spearhead-class expeditionary fast transports and, like the EPFs, will be built by Austell USA in Mobile, Alabama. And that's to look at some of this week's naval news. All right. It is time for the discussion portion of the show. Uh, Chris, before we went on air, you and I made a list of some things that we wanted to cover down on um, in the next 20 or so minutes. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to head out of the East Coast. We're going to head west to Wisconsin, where you were last week. Um, our podcast listeners had a chance to uh, to hear from Mark Vandroff, the head of uh, Fink and Terry Marinette uh, sh Shipbuilding uh, uh, up there in uh, Wisconsin. But I wanted to get your take on your visit there. That's the first time that you had been to um, the three Fink and Terry shipyards in a while, right? Maybe even 10 years. Is that about right? So I wanted to get your take on what you saw, the growth there, and some takeaways uh, from your visit. Right. Well, you know, 
one of the one of the aspects of just about any shipyard, at least in the states, is that uh, if you haven't been there for three years, you probably should go again because things are always changing. The last time I was up at Marinette um, to see the main yard for Fincantieri was in 2015, um, and it, even that was 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 really impressive. I mean, um, I think people don't necessarily appreciate what a um, sure rinky-dink yard uh, Marinette Marine was um, when they entered into a deal with Lockheed Martin to build a littoral combat ship. And um, this was just not an advanced yard on any level. Uh, they had multiple issues. And, you know, in addition to the program itself having multiple issues, there was just the fact that it wasn't a very good yard. And Fincantieri bought that, invested um, about $100 million right off the bat, and rebuilt that yard in the midst of a major construction program, which was truly an impressive feat. Um, and we, we say rebuilt, changed the flow of the whole yard. I mean, there was no flow. Um, modernized everything, paved everything. Um, you know, it was, it was a mud yard. Um, put in far more modern facilities. And that was what, what I was seeing in 2015. Well, since then, uh, the impact of the frigate program uh, the Constellation class SFG-62 frigate program is as visible as anything everywhere. Um, most of the major infrastructure is done. Uh, the, uh, the very large erection halls um, built all, all new for the frigate to, to, to be able to have two side-by-side -side entirely inside, um, which is a major uh, aspect to when you're dealing with weather anywhere. And certainly if you're talking about Wisconsin and Michigan and um very you know new new panel line um it's just really impressive and that uh, new uh, paint and blast facilities um and they're keeping the old ones they they're, you know they're they're doubling their 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 capacity and the synchro lift the ship lift that is the new way that they're going to launch ships up there is construction is rolling right along that seems to be the the major um the the biggest improvement left to finish but construction is, is roaring along. I mean, it's, it's quite obvious what it is. It's uh, uh, all the, the, the basic structure seems to be there. Uh, a lot of the concrete's been poured and uh, that's, that is rolling right along. That's that, that is on schedule. Um, it's a, it's going to be the largest synchro lift facility in the United States. Um, it's a Fincantieri design or developed design. Uh, that they did in Italy, but uh, and this is there's a similar facility at the Coast Guard Yard here in uh, Curtis Bay, Maryland. Um, they have they have a synchro lift. This one is about twice as big. Um, it's it, it's far more capable. Can lift things uh, ten thousand tons. So it's a much larger facility. Um, the art is really impressive. They are rolling along. They have they have three um, three major projects that they're working on, which is the, they're still working on the final ships for the Freedom Class Patrol Combat Ships for Lockheed Martin. Um, there, when I was there, the, there were four alongside and the, the Marinette sailed away um, a couple of days after I was there. So there, there are three up there. Um, all three will be delivered next year. The, the last one, Cleveland LCS 31 is fitting out and they expect that to be delivered before 2024 is over. So that program will will come to an end up at uh, Marinette. They are swinging into the multi-mission service combatant for for Saudi Arabia. 
This is a frigate variant uh, developed from the LCS design. It's not the LCS. It's there's actually quite a bit of internal changes. Um, it'll look a little different uh, if you if you just glance at it. Look, it'll look pretty similar. But if you if you look in detail, there'll be quite a number of changes. It's a different ship. Um, that the I saw the first hull. That is all come together. They're now installing the the uh, superstructure on top of it. Fabrication for the second hull is already well underway. And uh, the third, uh, the, the, and already fabrication for, for the third and fourth ones is happening. And of course, the frigate. They are beginning work on the frigate. They've, they've, they've been working on it for over a year. Um, there are lower hull sections now that are already coming together. I've touched it. I put my hand on the side of the constellation. Yay. Um, that is, you know, the lower, lower hull sections in the way of the machinery spaces. But um, that program is coming along. They are very anxious. I think uh, Mark Mark said in the interview, um, they are very anxious to move right into that. Everything everything is is is, is geared towards finishing what they've got and then moving on to frigate. And they will be, they certainly seem more than capable of rolling right into two per year frigates uh, up there. The facilities are designed for it. And where I had not been before was the opposite side of Green Bay. Um, at, at Sturgeon Bay, uh, Wisconsin, is Bay Shipbuilding, Fincantieri Bay Shipbuilding. I'd never been over there. That was a much bigger deal than I expected. Um, very impressive. That also is an integral part in the frigate production program. Uh, they have two very large erection halls um, and, and a um, fabrication hall that are already completed over there much bigger than anything that was there before they dominate the skyline um that's that that's for frigate they'll be building the bow sections of the frigates over there as they are already doing with the saudi frigates and they they uh, barge the bows across the across green bay to to marinette but really an impressive yard um uh, they, they do a lot of commercial work they, they build very complex uh, barges, liquefied natural gas, natural, liquefied natural gas, LNG uh, barges. Um, these are complex craft. They are building the first X-Bow uh, vessel, which is a sort of a, a unique kind of ship that you see in, uh, in North Sea oil fields. Uh, they're building uh, that um, first, first time anybody in the United States has built a hull like this. That'll be used for wind farm support, um, but they do a lot of commercial work to support shipping on the Great Lakes. Is a big. This is a time of year when the when when the when the Great Lakes close, um, a lot of the commercial shipping shuts down uh, on the lake, and people people go in for maintenance and overhaul, and they do a lot of that. They actually plus up. They hire people for the for the season, their season, their high season being the winter, the heart of the winter. Um, so still very impressive, and I also look got a good look at. Ace Marine, which is a facility in the in the little industrial facility along the Green Bay waterfront, and uh, pretty uh, nondescript. You wouldn't notice it. There aren't any big signs anywhere. Um, but they build this aluminum fabrication facility, and they build the the um, superstructures for the LCS, which they're done with. Now they're now they're well into building for the Saudi frigates, and they have a big part in the uh, in in the frigate program there are there elements that they'll they'll be building that also was bigger and more impressive than i than i expected 
Uh, but, you know, good to see all of it. And this is sort of the, you know, this is the, the uh, construct up there is that everything is not at Marinette. You know, the whole, if you go to see Marinette, that's not the whole shipyard. There are significant parts of it across the bay at Bay Shipbuilding and down at Ace Marine. It was pretty good. One thing that, that really struck me about uh, Sturgeon Bay, it's in a really, this is all new to me. And uh, uh, this is a real big vacation spot in the summer. Uh, so this little town, Sturgeon Bay, the, the Cape Cod of the, of, the, of the UP or something, uh, right. Michigan or something. It's this charming little town. Uh, the shipyard, I mean, as soon as you drive into town, the shipyard is there looming over the whole yard. But what's interesting is that there are, there are resorts. There's, there's, there's a resort hotel abutting the property with the shipyard and a lot of residential, new residential construction, nice you know, townhouses and things, up, upscale stuff right next to the shipyard, which is itself has expanded in the last nine or 10 years they bought a yacht yard next door and, uh, so there have been all this inspection in the shipyard and yet they are absolutely in the heart of not just a residential but a resort neighborhood um, and you know a lot of these shipyards part of the distinction what makes everyone unique is you know what's your environment what does your geography look like and um, you know, it's, it's one thing to be in a, in a big city or in the heart of a little town uh, Marinette Marine, Marinette, Wisconsin is a small town, but but the the shipyard is in the you know industrial part of it, um, and yet you're right in the middle of people, I don't know, trying to have a good time and also trying to sleep at night, and shipyards tend to make noise. Um, this is it was just a different aspect of you know mind your neighbor and be good neighbors and everybody's coexisting. It was it was the most distinct um, example of such a thing that I've 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 come across so far but uh overall i mean it was just uh it, it was very impressive um they are absolutely geared towards building two per year two two frigates per year um uh, you know the it's it, it was just it, it just it just seemed, it certainly seemed, it comes across like they, they, they're gonna do it their their biggest problem like as with everywhere our personnel can they get enough people to work there um, they need about 400 more employees to really swing into full-scale two-per-year frigate production. And as the LCS program winds down, they gain workers from that program. As they get the Saudi frigates out, they will gain workers from that. So there will be a natural migration across the yard from these programs into the frigate program, but they still need another 400 or so people. And that's, you know, trying to attract people to come up there. Uh, it's a certain kind of person who's going to want to come up and, and like that lifestyle. It is semi, it's, I wouldn't say rural, but it's definitely small town America. The big city is Green Bay. Green Bay is not all that big. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun place. There, there's definitely stuff to do, but if you like outdoors, they keep pushing that, you know, if you, if you like, if you like the outdoor lifestyle, um, you know, boating, hunting, snowmobiling, all this stuff. Um, there's plenty of that up there, uh, but um, that that remains a big challenge. And as as Mark said in the interview, you know they're offering offering um, bonuses to people uh, to come to work there. So please please come up, please think about it. And it's it's everywhere, and everybody knows about it. I mean, all all through, around Green Bay, in the airport at Green Bay. You know, you want to work at Fincantieri? Come on up. Um, so pretty interesting. 
All right. Well, let let's continue uh, our uh, our trek west. Uh, this time to the Eastern Pacific. Um, as we talked about in the headlines, um, an SM six missile was launched from USS Savannah, LCS twenty eight, um, and it was launched out of a temporary box launcher. Um, you know, one, it was really good to see the video put out um, so that you could get a sense of uh, you know what this looked like from a you know a a aft uh, looking uh, camera that was uh, put up on the bow um, you see as the missile uh, leaves it's a familiar path uh, looks like it could be coming out of a VLS tube except you know uh, our audience knows that there are no such tubes on LCS and so you don't you can't really see the box launcher in the video um, but the ship doesn't really move. It doesn't jerk. I mean, it it it's off, you know, looks like they're doing 15, 20 knots uh, headed and uh, the missile comes out. No problem. Um, th this is uh, quite a uh, quite a milestone for this program uh, for the Pacific forces. Uh, and I would say uh, if, if I was a, a Chinese uh, naval officer, I, I would be a little concerned uh, about this. I mean, this really does up the capability of uh, the LCS uh, platform in the Pacific. It does, you know, and uh, of course, again, this is a temporary installation. Um, it, 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 it follows the flight deck. You can't use the flight deck. Uh, and so, so they're stuck with that. But um, a lot of these innovations, demonstrations, one of the, one of the purposes is to, is to really see if the Chinese react, how, and if they react, how do they react? Um, is the kind of thing that, that, that worries them. Uh, the naval strike missile that, that, that goes now routinely on uh, independence class LCSs that deploy to the Western Pacific definitely, definitely gets the, the, uh, the Chinese attention. Um, it, it, it really changes the equation out there. And it, um, one thing you don't hear too many U.S. officials talk about on the record, although off the record they will, is that... Um, there's there's a there's a Chinese tail on just about any um, American and partner nation uh, warships that, uh, that that are in the South China Sea as, as China tries to act like it belongs to them, which by international law it does not. But um, there's, there's always a tail. Uh, the ships that have NSM tend to have two tails. So you're kind of tying up their their resources. Uh, for whatever reason, how the Chinese look at it, they don't. They don't feel comfortable with just one ship on them. They want to have two. That's an interesting little development. And there are games people play with how they, you know, look like they're what what they're doing. They 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 um they hide their intent, and uh, and and again, see how the Chinese react. But that's that is a that is a factor of putting SM six, which by the way has a has is not just an air defense missile. But it also has a significant surface-to-surface -surface capability. It's a much heavier missile than what's than the NATO right. missile and what's on there now. Um, it's just something else to play with. Um, yeah. And there's no reason, really. I mean, if you wanted to dedicate, if you wanted to put a bunch of uh, box launchers on an LCS for deployment and forego the flight deck, okay, that's a decision. Again, these the whole idea of an LCS was was you can. You can change its configuration. It's right. not. It's not stuck. You're not. You're not. It's, it's. It's not a big deal. That's one of the beauties of it, which is sort of lost on an awful lot of people who really just can't look at something and see you doing anything else with it, rather than what's in front of their eyes. 
and um, this is this is a good example of that. It may not be the best example, but it, it's definitely a good example. Um, kind of moving on that theme, mm -hmm. um, further west across the Pacific, out in Australia, the uh, U.S. Navy's Unmanned Service Division One, as we just said in the headline, is now in Australia. Um, this is really a remarkable deployment that is a, a first of its kind anywhere in the world. Nobody has done this anything close to this. So we have these four unmanned vessels. These are pretty small craft. These are not you would these are not classed as ocean going vessels, and they have operated from the they're, they're based around around Southern California, um, San Diego and, and uh, Port Wanini. Uh, they have gone to Hawaii and operated. They've they've transited to Hawaii unmanned, entirely unmanned, autonomous. Um, but this time uh, this summer they kept going and they went to Guam and they went to Japan. And it's all under a heading of integrated battle problem. That it's an ongoing exercise uh, effort uh, that that has multiple phases. It's it, it doesn't really have a beginning and ending that they've announced so much. But um, this this next phase, they've they've come from Japan all the way down to Australia, which is a ridiculously long way all by itself. Um, and they're taking part in uh, an exercise in Australia now, upcoming uh, autonomous warrior, it's called. Um, there's a mothership with them. The mothership is what else? An LCS. It's a great ship for to be a mothership to unmanned craft. Um, that's another another mission that you can do with these things that they're really designed for. They're designed to support multiple platforms, including unmanned platforms underwater on the surface in the air um great move there's also a um, a chartered crew boat that is with them called the rebecca c which is uh, which i i gather is being used for support crews um a lot of the a lot of these the these ships these four unmanned ships the sea hunter the sea hunter the seahawk the mariner and the ranger are all navy owned this is unlike what you see in fourth fleet around the Caribbean and South America, and definitely unlike what you see out in this Task Force 59 in the, in the, in the Persian Gulf area, the region, where most of those craft are contractor-owned and not Navy-owned assets. But um, in, in this case, this unmanned service division one, there's a commander, um, Jeremiah Daly, we've, 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 we've met him, um, in charge of this formation, and these are these are Navy craft. So this is this is just entirely new. It raises a ton of questions, um, and some of it is just some of it is a let's try it out and see how it works sort of thing. Um, what can they do? They are they're they're integrating with all kinds of platforms, platforms meaning all kinds of other different kinds of ships while they're out there, different command and control um, formations, and um, but it does beg the question of how much can these ships take. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's not. That's a. That's a question from me. Is that right? These are not transoceanic ships. And when you design and build a ship, you know, it's one thing to design and build a ship that uh, to operate just around the Mediterranean, the Baltic. It's another thing to want to cross the Atlantic or go across the Pacific. And um, this is. These are entirely different sea states, and they're at sea for quite a long time. These aren't, aren't day trips. They're not three-day trips. Um, and they're not that high speed. So 
um, you've got to wonder about the pounding of the ocean on these craft and can they maintain their efficiency? What do you think? Well, I mean, I think that we're, we're going to learn. And I think that as we do these types of exercises, you're going to get a sense for, as you mentioned, how they interact with, you know, the mothership, whether it's an LCS or some other uh, vessel, um, you know, what type of sea state they do best in, uh, what the wear and tear is, whether it makes sense to build these um, ships um, you know, overseas. I mean, I could see a situation where, you, you know, we buy these uh, or we contract them to be built by the Australians, to be built by the Japanese, to be built by, you know, pick somewhere right. in the Middle East. And then, you, you know, then you don't necessarily have to worry about the the transoceanic or you make them so that you could throw one or two of them, depending on the size on a heavy lift ship and you put them out there. So, right. I mean, I, I think this is all part of that that learning process, but uh, I, I was really happy as, as you said, to see them down there and to, I mean, that, you know, we hear so much about unmanned um, and, you know, it, it's great to see the, the radio controlled stuff, uh, you know, in fifth fleet, but I mean, th this is to me a real step forward. Um, and then especially as, as we've talked about many times on here to see them interacting with LCS um, is, is just it's coming to life. Uh, and I think it's important for the Navy to see it, for Congress to see it, for the Chinese to see it. Um, so, um, yeah, th this was a good week uh, for that program. It was, but, you know, it, it now begs the question of where is the beef in terms of the follow-up? Right. Um, okay, this is great. What do you do now? These are demonstration ships. They're not designed to be operational entities. Uh, they're designed to carry out concepts and see how they work. Um but the, the Navy unmanned service vessel program is not happening. It's not happening. Right. There's a, there's a lot of talk. And frankly, I'm just about any flag officer now. Anybody wants to make a speech about talk about these capabilities. That's great. Where's the money? Show me the money. Yeah. And it's not there. So we have this, the, the, the medium, the, all, all this nominally is leading up to what's called the medium unmanned service vessel in USV and the large USV. Um, the large USV is mired in this, in a design contract competition that was awarded in July 2022, and we're only halfway through it. It runs till September 24, where six different companies are coming up with concepts about what it could be. That's it right now. That nothing is going to happen, even when it's done in 24. What happens after that? I don't know. What's the plan, Stan? There's there, at the moment, there's nothing. Maybe it'll sh magically show up in the budgets of 25 budget when it comes out in February, but it's not there now. And nobody's talking about what's next, what follows. The, um, the um, medium US fee, it's only one boat and it's not happening. Uh, it was awarded to L3 Harris. They subcontracted with Swift Ships to build the boat. L3 Harris does all the systems. Somebody else builds the boat. Swift ships, which normally would expect to would be a yard that has a ton of experience. Uh, they build a lot of craft. What's the problem? L3 Harris has issued a cease and desist order in September against Swift ships for non-performance on this program. Uh, and at the moment, I don't think there is a boat. I think it, it, it seems to me like the next, the next step is that they're going to look for um, somebody else to build a boat, which by the way, is what happened with another one of these smaller USVs, similar right. to what's deployed right now, the Vanguard. They had a deal with Swift Ships to build this 
boat Vanguard, which is kind of a modified crew boat design, uh, that failed, and, and they had Austell build that hull, and Austell build, is building that hull now. But it's really, it makes it, you know, but that's it. Even if it was working, even if the MUSV program, it's only a boat. Uh, what's the plan? What do you want to do with it? Um, I've talked to program people here in, in Washington, NAVSI, who are very enthusiastic. They think they've done the work. They're ready to go. They're ready to move ahead. They're, you know, persistent doubts. Uh, there's always somebody new coming along who, who, who's not been following it and now wants to review everything again. It's one of those situations. Uh, has been. That's an aspect of it. Um, there's There are doctrinal issues about what do you want to do with them? Who uses them? How do you do command and control? What are their ad? I mean, are they adjuncts to something or I mean, just, just how does that look? What does an unmanned service vessel with combat capability look like? Um, the Navy is still working through this. And it really is. A, it's kind of amazing. And then you look at what's happening in, in Ukraine and the Ukrainians are now pumping out all these little suicide boats that are having an incredible effect in their war. I mean, it's, it, this, right. is, this is this is asymmetric warfare at its finest, where, you know, that unmanned unmanned platforms, including aerial platforms, you know, have essentially driven the Soviet, the Soviet, the, uh, the Russian yeah. uh, Black Sea fleet from their forward base in Sebastopol yeah. to pull back to Novorossiysk. And um, that this is really impressive. And we're in, we're we have been involved in this back, you know, in the in the background, um, but um, you know, where's the money? So it's just not there. It's pretty impressive. Well, let's keep moving um, to this time now to fifth and sixth fleet. So keep going west, um, and let let's talk about what is uh, slowly over the last two weeks turned into quite a uh, naval buildup uh, in fifth and sixth fleet. Uh, let me just do a quick review of what we have um in that area or what's headed that way the ford carrier strike group um which is uh obviously the uh, gerald r ford um with um uh, the cruiser normandy you've got thomas hudner you've got uh ramage um and then you've got uh roosevelt and carney operating uh in, in that area uh, as well doing some independent stuff carney uh as we talked about last week uh has been in the headlines um for uh its uh interaction with uh houthi launched rockets and drones um you've got the baton arg um which is in the gulf of aden um, that includes the Bataan, the Carter Hall, and then Mesa Verde is uh, was disaggregated from from the ARG uh, and is operating independently. Um, you've got the Ike Carrier Strike Group, which is headed um, to uh, the Mediterranean, and uh, what we're being told is presumably to Fifth Fleet um, to take up station there. So eventually, you'll have a, uh, that Carrier Strike Group in Sixth Fleet and in Fifth Fleet um, with that uh, Ike Carrier Strike Group. Um, you, you've got uh, the Gravely um, and you have the Philippine Sea right, right now. So, uh, and it's expected to meet up with um, the Rota based destroyers uh, when it uh, transits the Med. And so, some of those other assigned ships are uh, the Mount Whitney, as Chris mentioned last week. Um, we've got um, the uh, Laramie uh, and the Leroy Grumman uh, on the replenishment side. Um, and then we have the Steedham, McFall, Arleigh Burke, Paul Ignatius, Bulkley, 
Um, those are the destroyers that are either rota based or are part of uh, Snigum, uh, the standing naval uh, stand yeah standing naval group, which is part of uh, NATO forces uh, in, in the region. Uh, and then you've got a number of uh, Coast Guard uh, cutters, which are uh, operating in and around uh, Fifth Fleet as well. So quite a bit of U.S. Uh, naval capability over there um, to uh, reinforce. Um, Israeli efforts uh, to, uh, you know, to send messages uh, to the Israelis that we have their back, but also, and probably more importantly, um, if you've been listening to messages come out of the Pentagon and out of the White House, uh, meant to send messages to Iran and Syria that, hey, don't, uh, don't escalate, that we, uh, we're here, we, uh, we hear your rhetoric, uh, and if you act up, uh, we've got quite a bit of force um, that is ready to respond. And then as an aside, um, it, it's uh, interesting, um, the Chinese have, uh, I guess I would say a larger than normal group of ships uh, in what is our fifth fleet uh, AOR. Um, they have the 44th PLA and Naval Escort Task Force, uh, which includes three ships. Um, and then they have the 45th PLAN Naval Task Force. Um, the uh, 44th is in the Persian Gulf and the 45th is hanging out in the Gulf of Aden. And they're expected to do a uh, a bit of a, a turnover. So this is uh, coincidental that you just happen to have uh, both of these uh, Naval Escort Task Forces uh, in, in the area um, at the same time that all this is breaking out. Chris, your thoughts on first the Chinese and then on you know what we have uh, on the U.S. side, and I didn't even get to the NATO ships. Um, maybe we could talk more about that next week. But uh, quite a bit of Greyhall uh, and Whitehall uh, in those waters. There is, and you know, while there are, so the Brits have sent uh, a couple of ships over. The French just, as we, as we said in the news, um, sent uh, a large assault ship, uh, and they already have two frigates that are over there. Um, but and there are other people that have assets that they're not talking as much about. Um, but um, a lot of the NATO groups have you know, also canceled their port visits, and, and they're they're just they're, everybody's standing by, um, waiting for whatever comes next in this in this Hamas Israel Gaza situation. Um, a lot of it obviously is, is, is there for in, in case of evacuations, mass evacuations that want to happen very quickly. And by the way, there's a lot, awful lot of air assets that have gone out there too, including a lot of Air National Guard um, aircraft, transport aircraft that are ready to also take part in evacuations. But you know, that's what that's what the assault ships can do. Um, not so much the warships, but um, you know, they're they're there for that. Everybody's keeping an eye on contingencies on, on what Iran does, what happens in Syria, what um, what's going to happen with the Houthi in uh, in Yemen. There's there's major concern about transiting the uh, Bandab al-Bandeb now at the at the mouth of the Red Sea and out of the Gulf of Aden. Um, you know what? That's that's got a lot. Uh, people are, are much heightened awareness, let's put it that way, um, about all those transits at the moment. Uh, the you know the Carney had just come through uh, Suez, right uh, on the on the 18th, and within hours of entering the Red Sea, um, there were these missiles that. Uh, came up and it's still not clear definitively authoritatively what the missiles were and who the ship's target who the target was for those missiles um it's it's sort of left the impression the the, the pentagon has left the impression they were headed north 
meaning what? Meaning Israel, meaning meaning the Carney. If it was aimed at the Carney, that's a pretty interesting command, uh, you know, uh, fire control solution that the Houthis came up with, launching uh, missiles from the lower end of the of the Red Sea. Uh, there's a, there were there were a number of drones associated with that with that action, aerial drones. Um, were they doing targeting from the aerial drones? It's pretty impressive. If they were, if they, if those missiles were actually aimed at the ship, that's a that's another new dimension um, of capability that maybe had not been assigned any to 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 outfits like the Houthi rebels in Yemen. But they are they're they're supplied largely from Iran. But um, so, I mean, you, you had some thoughts on that. It's hard to not look at what um, the Carney dealt with from uh, the Houthis. And what um, U.S. forces uh, in Iraq uh, and forward bases in Syria are dealing with and not believe that they are linked and that Iran is the common denominator. Um, it, it, it just would seem like it's too much of a coincidence. Right. Um, and so um, I, I think that, you know, as. As I've talked to people, I mean, the the ship believed that you, you know they were a, a target of, of those uh, inbound assets. Um, by all accounts, they performed uh, the way you're supposed to perform uh, using um, SM2s to shoot down the uh, you know single digit number of uh, uh, of Houthi rockets, uh, and then using the 50 cal and other um, ship self defense. Uh, assets to shoot down um, the drones, uh, which which were described to me as anywhere between the size of a, a scan eagle and a um, uh, you know a a, a medium size uh, a drone um, that you you know you may see in the U.S. inventory. So um, you, you know this is all new to um, a lot of these folks. I mean, they train for the swarm uh, and they train for ship self defense, but I'm I'm not sure that Carney really thought that they they might encounter this. It had been a while since uh, the Houthis right. had shot at U.S. warships. Um, so yeah, I mean, everybody appears to be on heightened alert, both from, uh, okay, what's Israel going to do next? And then also, um, what could, uh, Iran, uh, deal with? If you saw the rhetoric, uh, this week out of the Iranian ambassador to the UN, I mean, he definitely ratcheted up the rhetoric, uh, aimed at us and Western forces and, and, you know, said that they, they would be, uh, be brought into, uh, danger, um, should Israel, uh, escalate this conflict. The 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 old classic word tinderbox, which is definitely a yeah. last century word, um, but it's uh, yeah everything's primed to just blow up here in, in any way from Sunday. Um, so I know, and not 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 um, not lost on an awful lot of people dealing with it. One thing to talk about though is that you know you talk about the Chinese. So um, just it it is a I've I've heard I've heard military people characterize some of these naval movements and the Eisenhower and all as a surge and they're not. Um, it just so happens and that it's sort of hard to believe given the timing of it all, but it does just so happen that the deployment of the Carl Vincent group from the West coast, the deployment of the Ike group from the East coast, these were, these have been scheduled for a long, 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 long time. It just so happens that they took place almost simultaneously, which is not usual. That's kind of, that's just an accident of timing. And that we've got, and they're relieving carriers that are already deployed, the Reagan in the Western Pacific and the Ford in the, in the Mediterranean. So, you know, it's, it doesn't, 
there are four strike groups at sea right now. By the way, the, the Abraham Lincoln is also underway um, off the off the west coast. But the um, uh, but but it's it's coincident. It's not a surge. So far, the only major change has been the extension of the Ford Group's deployment. You're just going to stay out, which, by the way, everybody knows can always happen. All deployments, yeah, right. It, it is a it is a feature of of deployments, and even right up to the last day. Whoops, we thought we were going to leave tomorrow. We're not. Um, that that is that is a feature of, of military deployments and definitely naval deployments. But the Chinese also they, they maintain these three ships formation, three ship formations. Uh, that go out do anti anti piracy patrol nominally in the uh, Gulf of Aden area. Uh, it's usually a three ship formation. That it usually lasts about six months. And lately, um, and the 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 most recent group deployed on, on September twelfth from Qingdao, another three ship group. Usually, usually a destroyer, a frigate, and a support ship. Um, and they're they're out there to relieve the 44th escort force. What the Chinese have been doing in recent years is that when the new group comes out and takes over those escort duties, the group that's just been relieved breaks or doesn't necessarily break up. They, they break from that process of escorting merchant ships and they do a number of cruises. They've gone around to Africa. Um, actually, earlier this year, um, the 43rd group um, when it was relieved, they went around Africa, then went, went to West Africa, um, did a lot of port calls. Sometimes they go to the Med, sometimes they go, they, they go to India, they go around the Persian Gulf. So in this case, some of the ships, a couple of ships went up to uh, Kuwait uh, in the last week or so. And that is normal. That's, that's not necessarily a reaction to what's going on now. You could view it that way and go, hmm, interesting. <laughs> but but, but uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why we and they and most people characterize their movements as these are routine operations. We do this all the time. It may be in association with something else, or it may be just what we do all the time. You figure it out. But, it, but there's an element, there's an intended element of ambiguity in this. And we're not necessarily so far, not necessarily seeing a surge of a lot of these, a lot of these elements being deployed, other than ships standing by for evacuation duty. There's right. definitely a surge going on the last last week, especially um, for that. Should should people just want to get out of Israel now, fast? But um, in terms of combat. Uh, potential combat capability is not really a surge yet. Yeah, but people are characterizing it that way. I think that's a mistake. No, I, I agree. Well, Chris, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vago Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. The Cavishes Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is the designer and operator of the U.S. Navy's live virtual constructive training enterprise, the largest LVC enterprise in the U.S. Department of Defense. HII, delivering the advantage. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. 
I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.